All right. Anybody opened their electric bill lately? Wow. Wow. My wife says to me, she goes, did you see the electric bill? Now, she knows full well that I've not seen an electric bill in 40 years. I never look at the electric bill. All right? I just don't. She goes, well, I knew what she was aiming at. You know, we need to turn the thermostat to 90 instead of where I have it set. But uh, nonetheless, she explains to me, um, you know, how high it is, you know. And I said, you know, I just am grateful that, A, we can pay it, and, B, that I have air conditioning. All right? Can you imagine not having it? So if it costs a little bit of money, you know, that's that's part of the deal. Because when we were younger, and if some of you that didn't go through hard times may don't know this, but when we were younger, there was a time we couldn't pay the electric bill. Anybody? Now, those were the darkest days of our marriage. So I thought, okay, my wife wants me to open them. So I opened the electric bill and the water bill at the same time. I was shocked. All right, I'll be in Poughkeepsie on Wednesday, Newark on Friday. Uh, all right, let's get to work. All right. If you don't know why I do that, if you're new, uh, whether you think I'm funny or not, it's irrelevant to me. Um, but it it allows me to relax a little bit because you all just really scare me. All right. So just let you know. All right. So Pastor Cord, as we're going through Genesis, he did an incredible job last week of. Um, of taking a passage, very difficult, the passage on the rape of Diana, uh, Diana's Jacob's daughter, and she's running with the wrong crowd. She's hanging out with people she shouldn't have been with. She gets herself in trouble, and she's worshiping false gods. And we talked about, you know, then he talks about how, you know, the boys get disqualified because they go and kill all the people um, that were involved in, in the rape. And and so the, the family just keeps getting worse. We've been talking about this dysfunctional family for like 25 chapters now, but it's not going to get any better because Jacob finally gets things squared away, leaves his, leaves his father-in-law. We leave him on the other side of the river. That's good. Uh, he makes peace with his brother Esau, who thought was going to kill him. <clears throat> That's good. We survived this group that wanted to kill all of them because of this story with the sister things look like they're leveling out and then jacob finds a way to blow up the whole story again now here's here's really what i want to say to you as court talked about last week so we're living a story on the lower level and our story is a soap opera and the truth is if you ever watched a soap opera, some of you would probably trade places. You'd say, I'll take the soap opera versus what's going on in my family or in my life or what's going on with me. But while the soap opera is playing out, God's working the story up here. See, we're in Genesis chapter 37. In Genesis 37 to 50, it's all about a guy named Joseph. He gets more airplay than anybody in the Bible other than Jesus and, I don't know, maybe Moses, maybe Abraham. But he gets 13 chapters. Do you know Joseph is not even the main player in the story? Remember what we're chasing here? God told Abraham back in Genesis 12, you're going to have a son and that's going to lead where? To the Messiah. 
There's an anointed one. So Abraham is 100 years old. We finally have Isaac, and then Isaac doesn't get married, and we've got uh, women that can't have children, and God does miracle after miracle after miracle. And we get to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. So who's the son of the promise now? Well, we find out in Genesis 49. Because of the other brothers that killed all those people, they forfeited their right. And the child of the promise... We find in Genesis 49 when Jacob is blessing his children and he says, the scepter will never depart from Judah until the Messiah comes. So Judah is the son that the Messiah is coming through. It's not Joseph. Joseph's job, he doesn't know it, Joseph's job in this story is to make sure that Judah lives so that Judah is in position to have the next anointed child that will eventually lead us to Jesus who can be our Savior. All right. So Joseph in this story gets all this press, but his story is ancillary to what God is really doing. So let's take a look at the mess. If you'll stand out of respect for God's word, we shall attack this. So Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed. So he's down south of Jerusalem, the Hebron area, the land of Canaan. <clears throat> this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. Remember, Jacob's got four wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he was born to Rachel, his favorite wife. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. All right, cocky 17-year-old kid. Couldn't keep it to himself. So we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated Joseph all the more because of his dream and what he had said. The coat, the dream, and the fact that he told it to them. Then he had another dream, oh boy. And he told his brothers again, listen up guys, I had another dream. This time the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. So you can be seated. So, a mess. Jacob's a mess. <coughs> Joseph's a mess. A whole bunch of the brothers have already been disqualified for killing the, killing the other guys. They're a mess. The brothers that are left, uh, they're a mess. So why does 
Joseph get in trouble to begin with? Well, Joseph is out with the flocks. Joseph is 17 years old. And all the rest of these boys aren't boys. They're adults. And Jacob comes home and tattles on them. Oh, my. Now, what were they doing? It doesn't tell us. All right. Now, there's really only two or three possibilities. Okay. They probably weren't playing checkers. They probably weren't on FanDuel gambling. Okay. So what could they have been doing? Something sexually perverted, something with women, or something with alcohol. Those are really the only options. So they were doing something that was very evil. There's no question about that. But Joseph runs home to tell daddy. Well, that didn't go over just real well with the other brothers. Then Joseph is given this coat. Now, you have this, if you, if you were in Sunday school at any point in your life, I'm sure you did this because, you know, we can use crayons and make a coat for, for, and it sounds great. Here's Joseph's wonderful coat. Well, this coat is the worst thing that Jacob could have done. What a dummy. And it's not like, okay, they, the other brothers have brown coats and Jacob gets a red coat. I mean, you want to read it like the other brothers had a cub jacket and then jo- and Joseph got a cardinal jacket. But, that, that, but that's not the idea. The idea is that it says Joseph was beautifully ornamented, probably made out of some silk from China, different fabrics. And it would have been covered with perhaps diamonds and jewels and all kinds of things. Because the fact that, okay, ours is brown and his is blue. Who cares? But it basically, daddy spent a bunch of money. Daddy forked over a bunch of money to make sure everybody knew that Joseph was his favorite. Not a real good move, dad. Not a good move. So Jacob's a mess. Joseph's an arrogant mess. And the boys are a mess. Does that remind you of anybody you know? That's all of our stories, isn't it? We're all a mess. In some way, we're all dealing with something. And we've made mistakes with parents, with bosses, with employees, with with children, with grandchildren. The messes go on forever and ever. But remember, in the middle of the soap opera, God's still at work. Now, here's the problem in our society today. This is from Lamentations 2.14. You probably weren't reading Lamentations this morning. Lamentations was written by Jeremiah, who's known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah is in Jerusalem when Jerusalem is getting leveled by Nebuchadnezzar, 596 B.C. And Jeremiah writes this lament. His heart is breaking. And this is what he says. He says, the visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. Most of them were killed. The oracles, the teachers, the teachings they gave you were false and misleading. Now let me bring that into the 21st century. Because Jeremiah does not go after Israel. He goes after the preachers for teaching false teaching. Because the people are glad to hear that they can keep sinning and do what they want. 
And in a culture where the church won't stand up for pro-life, pro-marriage, won't even stand against sex trafficking, won't stand up against the LGBTQ plus whatever, uh, won't stand for a biblical marriage, when churches won't stand, when pastors won't stand, when preachers and priests won't stand for the Word of God, they'll stand for everything else except the Word of God, you're in big trouble. And Jeremiah puts all the blame on the pastors, not on Israel. He said the pastors have spoken false teachings. The pastors and prophets kept telling them, ah, you're good, you're good. You can keep living that way. You can keep believing that way. And it, and it doesn't matter. Let me just play out one of those. Carl Sagan, Carl's been in hell for about 30 years now. He's changed his mind about Jesus. Uh, but Sagan said, we are the product of 4.5 billion years of fortuitous, slow biological evolution. There is no reason to think that the evolutionary process has stopped. Man is a transitional animal. Here's the key. He is not the climax of creation. Oh, Genesis said we were made in the image of God. Only man, only man and woman, only we have the spirit of God living in us. Now, here's the real problem with this. When I was in grade school, the earth and the solar system was millions of years old. By the time Carl died 30 years ago, it was 4.5 billion. And if you saw the news this week, it's 27 billion. You know why? Because evolutionists know they're wrong. And the only thing they've got is time. If we can get enough time. Okay, you have to, here's a dice. And you've got to roll a million sixes in a row. Well, that's not possible. It's not mathematically possible. So they say, well, no, it's not. But if I have just more time, eventually I can roll a million sixes in a row. Well, actually, no, you can't. There is no mathematical chance that you can even create an atom that way, let alone create the heavens, the earth, space, time, matter, but if you've already decided there is no God, then you have no choice than to just keep making things longer and longer and longer. And you have to throw in things like aliens. Maybe aliens created things. That's the new story, right? That's, that's, that's flooding our news today, the UFOs. And, and yet the Word of God has been consistent. 6,000 years ago, God spoke. God created everything. We've been on a downhill trajectory ever since. But... Half the churches in America won't even stand up and say, yeah, God created the heavens and the earth. They don't even have the courage to say that, let alone stand against all this other stuff that's happening in our world. Listen, the truth is we're a mess because of sin. And unless we repent of sin and accept Jesus as our Savior, the only thing awaiting us is hell. A place cut off from Jesus. And that's why I stand up here every week. I get emails and people say, I wish you'd quit talking about all those topics. Here's my answer. This will save you time. When the world starts, stops talking about all of this stuff, when they stop trying to shove all this stuff down my throat, I'll stop talking about it. All right? <clears throat> but the church has got to know what the Bible says, and what we are responsible for. The second part of this is a message. What is the message? Well, Joseph gets it twice. Two, two, two dreams he has. 
And they're both the same thing. Uh, obviously, when God repeats something, it is to assure you that it's going to happen. All right. So you get the same story twice that Joseph is eventually going to be in charge of something. We don't know what. He's, a young, he's the young brother. He's got one younger brother, but Benjamin, but he's a little boy at this point. But he's going to be the one that mom and dad and all the rest of the boys bow to. Okay, now that's, that's in Joseph's head. That, that message is in his head. Now, if you haven't read the story, and I want you to, it's going to take us four or five more months to unpack it. But Joseph is going to end up, and he's going to be sold into slavery. He'll be thrown into a well. Um, He'll be falsely accused of a sexual crime. He will end up in prison. He'll be forgotten in prison. And through all of that, this message must have been running through his head. Now, wait a minute. Here I am in the bottom of the well, but God told me that I was going to be a ruler. And here I am in prison, but God told me that I was going to be a ruler. And he's trying to process all this information. Now, to give you perspective, from the time of the dream until the time of the fulfillment of the dream is 40 years. So Joseph is 17 years old, and he will look like me by the time he's ruling in Egypt. And the idea, the thought of him ruling in Egypt, I I used this last night, I mean no offense, okay, but it would be like, since we're planning a church in Benel, it would be like saying, hey, we found a kid up here in Benel, and just as soon as Vladimir Putin is done in Russia, this kid is going to be the one that's going to take over all power in Russia. You'd go and... That's probably not likely to happen. That's exactly how likely it was that this little shepherd boy will end up leading the nation of Egypt. Okay? So he doesn't know what he's going to be leading. He has no idea that he's protecting Judah because he's the son of the promise. He doesn't have all these pieces. All he knows in his head is that there's a promise. Now listen to me, church. You and I have been promised very clearly that when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we repent of our sins, we're baptized, we're committing to follow him, that as we go through this process, there is a promise that Jesus said, as I have overcome death, so will you. So as you're living through your mess, as you find yourself in a pit, as you find yourself in jail, as you find your marriage in trouble, you've already been promised that the victory's won. All you got to do is stay faithful. But my life's a mess. Well, we've already admitted that, haven't we? All of our lives are a mess. Belteshazzar, this is a great story. In Babylon, in Babylon, when they had parties, the Babylonians and the Persians, they'd have parties that lasted for six months, a year, state, state funded. Hey, let's all get drunk for the next six months. It's on me. That's how the king would do parties. And so much so, the nation was so hammered that the Medes came in, dug underneath the wall, and walked in in the middle of the night and took over the entire Babylonian empire without killing a person. Crazy. But the night before it happened, they're having a party, and Daniel happens to be there. 
And all of a sudden, a hand, a giant hand, shows up on the palace wall, and it writes these words in Persian. And what the words mean are, you have been weighed and come up short. Literally, the phrase that is used is, this is what you used to be, this is what you used to be, this is what you used to be, and this is what you are now. And Belteshazzar understood. He he blesses Daniel. Daniel gets some gold stuff. And he said, tonight is the night. And the whole kingdom is gone in an instant. See, it was a message directly from God. And a lot of times we say, well, if I just saw the handwriting on the God, on the, on the wall, then I would accept Jesus. Well, how much more do you need? How much more information do you need to know? The whole point of Jesus walking out of that grave is so he did all the miracles and everything else, but he said, I will walk out of the grave to show all of you that I have authority over life and death. So if you've not accepted Jesus online, I, I have decided, hit that button. You're over into land. Go up there and see Ryan. You come up front here. Go out in the lobby. There's a room, room three. They'll help you out there too. We have people everywhere here to help you get right with Jesus because that knowledge that Joseph had of how the story was going to end allowed him to survive the mess that was going on in his life. And 2 Corinthians 5, 5.19 says it this way, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed unto us the message of reconciliation. So in our mess, Jesus died to reconcile, to make us right with God. And then he said, now, you people that are, that are a mess, but you've been reconciled, I want you to go find other people that are a mess and you help them find Jesus too. Because we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Now, here's what I love about that particular verse. Paul wrote that to the worst church in the New Testament. We're going to spend all next year, we'll finish Genesis, and then next year we're going to spend the entire year studying 1st and 2nd Corinthians because it's the worst church in the New Testament. Paul wrote to them. He wrote to the messiest church in the New Testament. And he said to them, you guys have been reconciled with God. You're still a mess, but you're reconciled with God. And now I expect you to go help other people. Isn't that interesting? He, he knows we're always going to be a mess, but we're a reconciled mess. Because God's story is bigger than our soap opera. And that leads us to the memory that we're talking about. So we've got a mess, we've got the message, but then there's that memory that lingers. And I, I love Jacob's words. Let me tell you how cruel these other boys were. So... When they sell Jacob, they gotta, they got, or when they sell Joseph, they've got to have a story to take back to dad. So they get animal blood and they put it all over Joseph's coat of many colors and they rip it and tear it and they take it back to their father. Now remember, they don't like dad either because he's been so overboard with Joseph. And Jacob says, oh my gosh, my son was torn apart by wild animals. Let me tell you how cruel these boys were. They let their father grieve for 40 years without telling him the truth. 40 years. 
until Jacob runs into Joseph in Egypt 40 years later, that man's grieving. Listen, I'm fully aware when a child dies, that's not a grief that stops. It may lessen at times. It may go away at different times. But it's not a grief that ever is going to go away. And they let that old man suffer for 40 years. He would have suffered till he died. That's how evil these boys were. But it said this. It said Jacob thought about. Remember that last verse, verse 11? Jacob thought about what Joseph said. You know that's only used one other place in the Bible. Anybody know? Teenage girl named Mary. Angel came to her, explains, you're the fulfillment of prophecy. You're the virgin that's going to have the child, that's going to have the Messiah. And it said that Mary kept all these things in her mind. So I don't know what Jacob did. For 40 years, did Jacob think, what happened to the message? What happened to the story about Joseph ruling? God gave Joseph this dream. What happened to it? Now, 40 years later, when he's standing there and he actually sees it unfolding, I mean, what a moment that is going to be when we get to that part of the story. But for 40 years, that's in the back of his head. And you and I need to keep that hope right there in the back of our heads of what God is really up to. While the mess is going on, God's got a much bigger I haven't told you a baseball story yet, so let's finish with that. September 9th, 1965, Sandy Koufax threw a no-hitter. It was his fourth. That's why he's got four, threw four no-hitters. And this is a guy named Bob Henley. Bob Henley threw a one-hitter that day. Life doesn't get a whole lot better than that, Bob, unless Koufax throws a no-hitter. And they lost one, the Cubs lost one to nothing that day. So what, Joe? Let me play this out from both sides. If you're trying to get to heaven on your good works, you're thinking, I'm a pretty good person, okay? Well, Bob gave up one hit. If you commit one sin, you're out. You don't get to go to heaven. How you doing? All right, let's move over here to Mr. Koufax. Koufax threw a perfect game. In fact, he threw four of them in his career. But you have to throw a perfect game every day of your life if you can do that, you can go to heaven without Jesus. How you doing? Not so well. That's why Jesus came. In the middle of our mass, Jesus gives us a message and there's a memory that we hold on to knowing that one day that eastern sky is going to break open. Jesus is going to come and going to call us home. And when that happens, all the rest of this mess will all be forgotten. So Father... As we come to you in prayer, I do not know who needs what. I don't know who needs to know that we're all a mess and they're just a part of the family. I don't know who needs to admit it, who needs to receive you as Savior. I don't know who needs to be baptized. Who's living it lukewarm? Who's been on the outside? I don't know. People watching in the land people watching online, people watching at home, people traveling. God, what needs to be done? The great thing is your Holy Spirit works through your word everywhere. So Lord, whatever we need to learn today and act on, may you make that happen. In Jesus' name, amen.